So temptation, not the best thing in the world really. Um, desire, that's okay, but temptation is kind of surmised as a desire for the unwise, a desire for what we know is wrong, but we desire it anyway. And it's something to put you at ease if you're kind of thinking, oh, well, this just applies to me, I'm a terrible person. This will apply to every single one of us here. There may be different temptations, there may be different vices that we have and we face, but every single one of us, if we're a human being, faces temptation. Don't be an ostrich, don't have your head in the sand and think you're the only one that does. We all do. Now, we don't all face the same things. Uh, Carl was talking about this guy, Justin, who had a gambling addiction. His temptation was probably gambling, I'm going to say here, to make money. Some of you, that won't be a problem. Money's not, a, not an issue. But for some of you, alcohol might be, or sex might be, or X, Y, or Z. There's all sorts of things, all sorts of temptations that we face. So it's worth just bearing those things in mind, lodging them in the back of your mind as we go through this. The question I kind of want to look at is, how do we fight these things? If every single one of us is going to have temptation come our way, what are we going to do when it comes? Are we just going to let it rule the roost? Or are there things in Scripture, are there things that we read that Jesus talks about that can help us on our way? That can kind of ease it and point us back towards him? Temptations can range from trivial things through to uh, the serious. And as I said before, to be honest, I'm not going to throw out things this morning because I'll just be giving you ideas. But each and every one of us, as I'm talking about the word temptation, something will spring to mind for you that you're tempted to have power or fame. You want to be the star of the show or you love more money. or There's all these different things and you will know what those things are. And in every single temptation, we always have a choice. We have a choice as whether to go down that road or go down the other. And we should know, we, should, we have built in morally, I believe, there's some things that we know are just wrong. And when we're tempted to do it, we know that they're wrong, and the battle is not doing it anyway. It makes me think of, uh, I don't know, who's done Slimming World? Has anybody done Slimming World here? Let's show hands. A few people. I have tried Nick in the back. That was going really well. Uh, <laughs> um, my slimming was not going very well either. My wife likes to do it. And then after about a week, I go for a McDonald's and I've just had enough. But the idea of slimming world is that, um, you know, you eat certain foods and you, you stay away from, uh, I think high, I don't know if it's high carbs. I'm looking for Grace. I can't see her. I think she's left because she knew I was preaching. But when you're on slimming world, I tell you, cheesy chips never look so good. You might not have a problem with cheesy chips normally, but as soon as you're on Slimming World, every single fast food vendor, it, it's, it's really difficult. Um, those who have done diets and things will be able to sympathise with me. Um, and it, it's very appealing at the time, and that's the whole point with temptation. These temptations are appealing in their nature. They wouldn't be tempting if they weren't. So the cheesy chips for me when I'm on Slimming World... Is very appealing and it's great at the time. The temptations might feel great in the moment, but actually the lasting effects are damaging. Just like me eating my cheesy chips, they taste great, but then when I get on the scales and I've actually put on weight despite me running 20 miles a week because I've not done slimming well, you pay the price. It's not good for you, it's not good for your body, and it's the same with temptations. They might in the immediate you think everything's great, but in the long run, they're incredibly damaging. Actually, in the moment, they can be incredibly damaging too. 
but we just often don't think of it. But we can conquer our temptations. And the reason we can conquer them is not because I'm really good or you're really good or we're amazing people. Behaviour modification isn't going to work. I'm going to tell you now. Some churches you will go to and they will give you some life coaching. And they will say, if you do this and you do that, and that everything will be right. They're wrong. As soon as temptation comes your way, you've got nothing to stand on. The only reason we can beat temptation is because Jesus did. That's the only reason. Not because some lifestyle guru tells you to do certain things. The only reason we will beat it is because Jesus did. And the, the Bible's really clear that though Jesus, he was fully God and fully man, he did not sin. So unlike us, where we're messing up, we're giving into temptation, Jesus had the option. Jesus could have gone down paths of temptation, but he chose not to. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you understand the gravity of that verse? In every respect has been tempted. You think you face things, but Jesus has been there. You're tempted by things. Jesus has been there. Jesus has done that. And Jesus has conquered it. Yes, he was the son of God, but in his humanity he conquered it. And that should bring us hope. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at the most famous passage, if you like. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to read it from Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 4. And this is, for me, the best place that we can read Jesus resisting temptation. And it's when he's in the wilderness and Satan is at him. Satan is badgering. Satan is trying to tempt him. He's just been baptised. He's just had this amazing spiritual high point. If you remember, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the Father says, this is my son. Here's my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. And then he's sent off in the power of the Spirit. He goes out in the Spirit to the desert. This is what it says, Luke chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, if you want to follow along. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdom of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, so that indicates that there's more to this than just the three that are recorded down. After the devil had tried every temptation of Jesus for 40 days, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in all their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus goes from this spiritual high point to wandering in the wilderness for 40 days without eating and uh, it's quite a story really the nature of the temptations that Jesus is facing here in the wilderness are will he obey the father or is he in his time of need 
going to swerve from the path that's been laid out before him. Jesus had a choice. Jesus could have yielded to Satan. He could have turned the rock into bread. Or he could have carried on on the path that was set out before him. You see, actually, what was offered to Jesus, I want you to see this, in Luke chapter 4 here, as he's in the wilderness, as he's hungry, Jesus is offered the easy way out by Satan. He's offered the easy path. Jesus knows that on the path that's laid out before him, he will have to go to the cross. That he will be dying for the sins of the world. And here Satan says, you can be glorified, you can have all power, you can have everything you need, just worship me. In other words, you don't need to go to the cross, you don't need to do this. And that's one of the things with temptation for us, is often they offer us an easy way out. The path of following Christ is not easy. It's a path of obedience. In a world that's sliding in the opposite direction, we're told to take a stand on things. We're told to uh, bring justice. We're told to love the unlovable, where the world just wants to shun them. That's not always easy. At work, if people are having a go at you, to take a stand and be a Christian, increasingly, is going to become more difficult. And the temptations that we have will offer us the easy way out. But I want you to know this, that whatever temptations we face, Jesus has faced worse. It's highly unlikely that any of us are going to be in the wilderness for 40 days, plagued by Satan himself. Do we agree with that? I hope we do. <laughs> it's quite unlikely. We've just got to go and find a wilderness and a bit of desert. Maybe Yorkshire. It's a wilderness up there. Um, and then you've got to get plagued by Satan himself for 40 days. Yet Jesus faces a harder task than we have and doesn't yield to temptation. You see, I want us to think of us actually, we're a bit like Adam and Eve, our ancestors. They had everything. If you think about it, they're in the garden, they've got fellowship with one another, they've got more fruit than they know what to do with, they've got so much produce, and yet they're told one thing, don't eat from this place, that's it. And they mess up. They had the easy life, and they messed it up. In contrast, Jesus is in the wilderness. He has no one. He has nothing. And he still doesn't yield to temptation. I don't, I don't want you to miss this in verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. I've spoken to people about this in the past, and they think that the devil kind of turned up on day 40. And through these challenges at Jesus... The devil has been plaguing and tempting Jesus for 40 days in all manner of ways. And not necessarily in the order that they've been written down by Luke or Matthew or Mark. But he's been at him, tempting him, offering him the easy way out. It's not just one day of temptations that he's faced. This is 40 days of relentless temptation. And he gets hit where it hurts. Satan tempts him with food. He knows he's not being eaten for 40 days. That's going to hurt. If any of you have fasted, it gets difficult. Food becomes even more appealing than it was before. I don't have a problem with food being appealing, but it was even more appealing. And 40 days of not having anything, of seeing no one else... And Satan trots out this land, this line, because temptations will hit us where they hurt. They're targeted. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. It's well within Jesus' capabilities. I want us to know that. 
He could have turned this stone to bread if he wanted to. Later, he turns water into wine. Later, he takes some bread and some fish and feeds 5,000 people. He's more than capable. He's got it in his armory to turn this rock into some bread. And here you have starving, hungry Jesus. And he resists and doesn't take the easy way out because he knows obeying God is more important than immediate pleasure. More important than relieving his suffering for a moment. And that's what the enemy does when we face temptations. They're, they're tempting because they're appealing to us. For me, I'm going to tell you now, there's not much point in the enemy waving alcohol at my face and saying, oh, isn't this tempting to have a Jaeger bomb and all this kind of stuff. I don't even know what it tastes like. It's not appealing to me in the slightest. It's not going to tempt me. Alcohol's not going to do me over. I'm happy to go on record and say that. But other things, I don't know if you've noticed that I'm mildly competitive. Uh, I guess I say mildly, I think. Uh, I've got a mildly competitive nature, mildly sporty. And it doesn't take a genius to work out that, actually, to be honest, kind of pride goes hand in hand with that. Ego goes hand in hand with that. What, why am I competitive? Because I want to be the best. There's a little confession for me. Because I want to win everything. I don't take part in sport for the pleasure of it. I take part to win. I don't want to be a loser. There's a little thing for you. What they say at school is rubbish. It's not the taking part that counts. It's the winning. Anyway. Got to teach them young. Evangeline knows she loses all the time. But one day she will beat me. But even yesterday at this barbecue, we had this grill off. And it was amazing. I was one of the judges. And even as a judge, I wanted to win. I was trying to come up with ways of manipulating it so that my lamb would win. But fortunately, the other two judges were, were very straight down the line. And I didn't even get an honourable mention. Well, you did, but then we revoked it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The honourable mention was revoked. Um, I mean, the prize was wine. I didn't even want the prize. I just wanted to win. I wanted the plaudits that my lamb was better than everybody else's. That's where the target goes. Now, Satan can't get in my head. He can't read our minds. The enemy can't do that. He hasn't got that power, but he can observe. He can see what we're like. And here in the wilderness, he's observing. It doesn't take a genius to work out that Jesus has not eaten. Let's target him where it hurts. And that's how it works. There's this great line that I think kind of sums up me a little bit. that says, I'm not bossy. I've just got better ideas than you. I'll keep saying that, I think. And that's what the enemy does with me. He says, don't you want to win this? Don't you want to do this? But the temptation is to go on better, to outdo people. And it's not necessarily always a good thing. For those that like to win, they are bad losers. You know, you beat me at Monopoly, I will throw the board in the air and I will walk off. At least I used to. I don't do that anymore. I don't play Monopoly because I lose. <laughs> Games that I lose, I just don't play. But this is what the enemy does. He will say, if... If, and this word does here, if Jesus, if you are the Son of God, surely you can do this. Surely you can meet that need. Hits him where it hurts. In the garden, Satan says, did God really say? He puts that element of doubt in. Oh, that fruit on that tree looks better than the rest of the fruit, doesn't it, Adam? Doesn't it, Eve? Did God really say you couldn't have that? I think he would like you to have that. That's how temptation works for us. What is it for you? What questions are posed in your mind? 
you know, looking at this thing here online, it's not going to hurt anyone, is it? It's not going to hurt anyone, you're looking at that. Just go for it. Or stealing this. Is anyone really going to miss this item if you relocated it? Did so-and-so really say that of you? How are you going to get them back? What are you going to say of them? What do you really think of that person? Do you not think the favour should be returned? Everyone needs to think you're wonderful. The way, the first way we combat the temptations that we have, those questions that are posed in our mind, is the same way that Jesus did. Jesus has posed that question, and he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus knows the Bible. Jesus knows the truth of who God is and what God wants of him. And so he follows after him. You know, the, the word of God is not just, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I'll say it again, it's not just a book. It wasn't just a scroll for Jesus that he just trots out occasionally. It was an active thing. It was the first line of defense in defeating temptation. What would God rather me be doing? What does it look like for me to walk the narrow path what does it look like for me to follow after Jesus? Where's the kindness in this? Where's the love in this? Where's the grace in this? You know, we have to pause for a moment when those questions are fired at us. Think, okay, how do I deal with this? What would God do? What would God say? What would God want me to do? And you know what? For near enough everything, there's going to be something found in God's word. Now people say, oh, there isn't direct things for the problems I've got today. But you take it as a whole and you get an idea of who God is, his character, what he's like, that he loves, that he brings justice, that he's gracious, that he's kind. And the Spirit of God, I believe, that when we're reading the Bible, when we're immersing ourselves in its words, the Spirit of God will bring things to our mind that we've read. We'll be able to uh, recollect scriptures that in our moment of temptation will help us to fight it off. Just as Jesus does. He had to know Deuteronomy to be able to quote it back. He had to spend the time as a child learning the scriptures. That in his moment of temptation, he would have something in his armory. He would have the word of God to be able to fight it and say, you know what, I'm going to go God's way because this is what God says. Not deterred by Jesus' flat refusal there, the devil takes him up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Have you thought about what that looks like? Just think about that for a second. He takes him up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Can you imagine what that would look like? Every power base, every person with authority, every king, every kingdom. And in a moment of time, he says, Satan says to him, it's yours if you would have it. I give you all authority. I'll give you all the glory. If you would just worship me. It'll all be yours. You know, Satan's the father of lies. Satan doesn't have that authority, actually. <laughs> it's not his to give away in the first place. But look again at what the temptation is appealing to. If the first temptation was his hunger and his ego, the second is power. You can have all power, Jesus. You can have it right now. You can be famous. People will love you. People will applaud you. You can be king of every kingdom. All he had to do was worship something other than God. And it will be given to him, so Satan says. 
And again, I believe that power is a bit of a vice for us. Control. We all want control of our own life, don't we? We all want control of our own destiny. I want to work here. I want to do this. I want to marry her. I want to have those kids. I want to do that. I want to go to this place. It doesn't work like that. We have to yield control to God. We have to actually... He's the one that has all power and all authority and all glory. Not you and I. But it appeals to us, doesn't it? We all want to be the centre of attention. We all want to be loved. Somewhere deep down in all of us, we all want to be famous. We all want people to know us and know our story. To people to know that we're gifted. And we've said this before, and I've chatted to Carl about this countless times, that our character is more important than our gifting. And sadly, in the church, a lot of the time, we emphasise gifting over character. You know, as a church, yes, we've got gifted people, and we can use our gifts to glorify God, and that's great. But I'd love for us to be known and defined by our character. That we're godly people. That we're loving people. That we're generous people. That we're gracious, we're kind, we're compassionate, we're Christ-like. Yes, we might have gifts, but they're not as important as our character. And you know, power that appeals to us, you know, it destroys our character. People go after the gift and the gift and the gift and the fame, and they actually have no character. You see it, don't you? All these people that have so much in life, you would think they'd be happy. They have the fame, they have the money, they have the cars. Yet they're miserable. Often, many of them are morally questionable. Because they have no character. Jesus replies, it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, he uses the word of God. The first one wasn't a mistake. He used the same tactic again and again. The third time, he used it again. Now, the word of God says this. Satan misquotes, misquotes scripture, you'll see as well. Often we'll be tempted to do that. That's why I said before that we need to take scripture as a whole from Genesis to Revelation. We don't cherry pick our verses. We get an idea of what the character of God is like because you can take any verse and use it to justify anything if you so wanted to. We don't take some truth and leave other truth behind. We take it as a, a whole and sometimes that means saying hard things. That sometimes means that our pride and our ego and our what we want from life just doesn't work out in the way that we want it to because God's working on our character. Because God wants our hearts more than anything else. But contained within the Bible, again, that's why it's so key that we know it, we love it, is another thing for res resisting temptation. Yes, we use the word of God, but we pray. The Lord's Prayer. What's in the Lord's Prayer? We've got some great lines in there. And there's one line Jesus teaches us. says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, it's a fundamental part of our walk with God. A fundamental part of our prayer life is that praying that we will not be led into temptation. Praying that we will choose wisely. Praying that we will follow after God. Matthew 26 says this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's right, isn't it? Our bodies yearn for things that we know are not good for us. 
We might be willing, spiritually speaking, but sometimes our bodies are just weak. So why, what does he say? He says, watch and pray. When tempted, when those questions come at you, oh, this won't really hurt anybody, will it, if you look at this? Or you're tempted to do something that you know is wrong by God. Stop in that moment. And I want to challenge you to stop and pray. You know, i found that if I stop and pray and start thinking about Jesus, all of a sudden there's this weight of conviction and heaviness upon my heart. In a way that wasn't there before, that says, I know this is wrong. And actually, I can follow after you all the more. We stop and we pray and we ask for his help. Now, I believe that by doing that in my life, it's stopped all sorts of stupid decisions. Now, it's not stopped them all, because sometimes I forget to stop and pray. Because we all get a bit in the heat of the moment. I told you a story about Debenhams not so long ago, if you want to know what happened in Debenhams car park. Just watch one of the sermons back. Well, I had another incident in a car park over child spaces. Now, if you've got young kids, people nicking child spaces is infuriating. You know, they take the 14-year-old, it's child and toddler spaces, people. If you do that, I'm telling you now, toddlers, small children, so they don't have to walk as far. And then um, it was Morrison's, and there's not many um, of these spaces in Morrison's. And this car pulled in in front of me. He, like, definitely did me up and took the spaces I was waiting to go in. So I wasn't best pleased. So I had to go and park uh, in a non-child space. And I have got a child in my car at this point, just for the record. I've got Evangeline with me. And uh, on my way, I couldn't resist kind of scowling at the people who were in my child, I'm a bad person, in my child's space. That was mine. And um, I, I mouthed something. I can't remember what it was. It was probably like, you're in my space. Um, something friendly like that. And, uh, and uh, they got out of the car, and I was just about to blow up at them. And he said some kind of thing, and then I noticed he had some crutches. And I thought, oh no, I've just picked on a disabled person. And he, he was disabled. Now, okay, we'll make allowances for that. But he still shouldn't be in the child space, should he? <laughs> disabled or not, you've got your own spaces. I don't care if they're full, you can sit and wait. You know, sometimes I just need to stop. And we all need to do that, don't we? Sometimes we just need to stop and say, you know what, Jesus, what is it you would have me do? There it would have been to just love the people and let them have the space. Not to shoot my mouth off. Always with cars, I've got a problem, I need to like, not drive, I think. But I've been finding, not 100% of the time, but when I actually stop, when, it, when I actually stop and pray, I prevent myself from saying and doing stupid things. From the temptation to be, you know, to, to have the higher ground and just to let things go. Sometimes it's better to just not say anything at all. And it will prevent us making some silly decisions. There's this uh, verse in Luke um, that I shared at the outset. Um, well, I haven't shared it actually, but it's a, it's a scary verse. It says this. He said to his disciples, Jesus speaking, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves 
If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. That's some strong words there from Jesus. But the bit I love about that is when he says, pay attention to yourself. Often, we're paying attention to everybody else, aren't we? We're judging everybody else's mistakes. And we don't pay attention to our own walk. We don't pay attention to those things that are tempting us. Those things that we shouldn't be doing. And what that means for us is, one, we check our own walk. But also, we check it with others. We keep accountable to one another. It says here, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. In other words, if someone is going down a road that we know is wrong, in a loving, gracious, kind way, call them out on it. Bring them back to the right way. That's why we do church. That's why we're a family. A family's not much good if we don't point and help each other in the right way, is it? We're just letting, just do our own thing. That's not how it works. We want to be together, going in the right direction, following after Christ, keeping our eyes on him. We're to kind of keep each other accountable in that. But part of our keeping each other accountable is that we check ourselves. That we check ourselves first before we're checking other people. That we're keeping our walk with God right. That we're following him on that narrow path. Because left to ourselves, we will just wander aimlessly, won't we? Or we'll gravitate to people of bad influence, those that cause us to sin. You know, I'm getting a bit fed up with uh, some social media stuff. And certain groups of people that peddle this, Jesus was lovey-dovey, butterflies and rainbows. Here he says, if you call somebody to sin, it's better that you drown. It's not very lovey-dovey, is it? <laughs> it's quite serious, the weight of what it means. that If we are the cause of somebody else's stumbling, if we are the cause of somebody else's temptation, woe to you. We have to check ourselves. It's serious stuff. I mean, think of King, da King David. King David messed up, didn't he, with Bathsheba? What was the result of King David messing up? Loads of blokes lost their lives. People died as a result. And yet here we have Jesus, faced with temptation. And instead of letting everybody else die, he lays down his life so that everybody else can live. That's the difference between obedience. Obedience and resisting temptation will bring life. Following after temptations will just bring death. And not just us. Others are affected too. We always have a choice. I love these words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, you're not as special as you think, boyo. Other people are struggling with the same thing you are. Isn't that comforting? Other people are going through the same thing. Other people will be struggling as we are struggling. And then he says, God is faithful. Good news. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, what this doesn't mean, and this is the way that these verses are often taken, what this doesn't mean is that God won't, there won't be hard stuff in your life. There will be difficult times. There will be difficult temptations that come our way. It's the world that we live in. Some people seem to think that that's not the case. And that this verse means that, oh, there won't be anything that won't be too hard for me. No, there will. There will be things that are hard. But God, in his provision and his grace, gives us a way out. He gives us a choice. And there will always be a way out. 
There will always be a choice that we have when facing temptations. He will give us a door by which we can exit. With every temptation, there will always be a way of turning and following Christ instead. There will always be the option to look at him in the midst of the storm. There will always be the option to endure just as Jesus did. So we have to check ourselves. We have to keep ourselves humble. We have to keep looking to Jesus. We have to pray in that moment of temptation. Pray for God's help. Remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Because I tell you, that temptation becomes less appealing when you do that. And Jesus becomes more appealing to us. But as I said before, it's not behaviour modification because that won't work. This change has to start in our heart. You know, before adultery, there is lust. It doesn't just happen overnight. There's lusting in our hearts. You read James 1, it's there. You know, people say, oh, well, I did this, I stole this, and it was an accident. You don't accidentally steal stuff. Having a car crash is an accident. Stealing something is not. It started long before in our hearts. Before, my ego is my pride in my heart. It starts here before it's manifest on the outside. And that means there's a spiritual battle raging over our hearts, doesn't it? Every day. But every day we have the option of looking to Jesus. I love that song that we said, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Isn't that just the summation of what we should do? When faced with temptation, to turn again towards him, to look up again. And you know what, church? Here's some revelation for you. You will mess up. You will make mistakes. You will, because you're not Jesus, give in to temptation. But here's the thing. What are you going to do when that happens? Are you going to let it become a pattern? Or are you going to repent? Are you going to turn around? Are you going to dust yourself off? And are you going to look to Jesus again? Because that's what we do. We ask for his grace and we go again. We follow after him again. I like this. I don't know if it's a quote or whether I've made it up, but I'll take credit for it. It's fine. That I want us to view ourselves. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to view yourself as that you're a child of God. You're a saint. Not in a Catholic sense. But you are a saint who will get things wrong. A saint who will sin. As opposed to a sinner who occasionally is saintly. Don't view yourself in that way. Often we go heavy, don't we? We go, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. No, you're a child of God. And you make mistakes. God is gracious. God is kind. Repent, turn around, follow after him again. Otherwise we walk with such a heavy burden on our shoulders. And we're miserable. We're miserable if we're like that. Our identity is that we're terrible sinners. And that's the only emphasis. Because I believe it's a two-sided coin. Yes, we're sinful. But we're also the children of God. And you know, when you know you're a child of God, you walk with a lightness. Compared to if you've just got this heaviness that weighs upon you. There's this uh, quote, I think it's Oscar Wilde. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. We all have a future, don't we? Despite the temptations we've had in the past, despite the temptations we're maybe facing in the present, we can have a future. We keep walking and following after God. We will make mistakes. We will mess up. But do not let them define who you are. We're more than that. We're the children of God. By Christ alone.
And I want to leave you with this thought. That you resisting temptation is more than it being just about you. That's often what we think of when we're resisting temptation. is oh, I'll keep my walk with God right. And it is that. That is a part of it. But it's more than that. I'll tell you why. Because the world is watching. Your co-workers are watching. Your schoolmates are watching. Your neighbours are watching. They're seeing how you deal with temptation. How you deal with your problems and issues that come your way. And you know what? By resisting temptations, you know what we can do? We can show the worth of Jesus to the world. We can walk the narrow path. We can follow after him. And we can be full of hope. We can be full of hope because Jesus has conquered death, hell, sin, forever for us. Because we couldn't have done that. But because he has upon that cross, we can overcome as well in this life. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness. He knows our weaknesses. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then there's this amazing line that follows that. So... Because of that, because of Jesus, this is what we can do this morning. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what we can do this morning. If we're struggling with temptation, we can find that exit door that God has provided. And we can come to the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace in our times of need. You know, Jesus had so many get-outs, didn't he? At any time, he could have had an army of angels to whisk him away. But he still went to that cross. I'm sure he was tempted, you know. If he was tempted in every way, to not go to the cross. To have the easy life. But he walked that path, and he faced death so that we don't have to. So that actually we can walk in freedom today. That we can be the children of God. So don't walk head down heavy with guilt and shame. But actually show the world what it looks like to live for him. Show the world what it looks like. And part of that is resisting temptation. Part of that is fighting the things that our body wants. Because we know that we serve a higher authority. And you know what is this line that I came across yesterday. And I think it's amazing. I want you to go home and write it on your fridge with the letters or put it on your wall. Don't you want it to be that the more people get to know you, the more they get to know Jesus? Don't you want that to be your heart's cry? The more people at work get to know you, the more actually they get to know your Saviour. So know the word, pray in times of temptation, and we need to journey with others. Be a family together and keep walking that narrow path.